This episode of the Lunch Break Podcast is brought to you by the sales developers. They believe that outbound sales requires a consistent commitment to the process, and they understand the tedious and time-consuming task of sourcing, hiring, and onboarding new sales talent. Besides providing premium quality contact data, outbound prospecting services, and expert consulting to consistently fill your sales buckets, they have built the ultimate sales enablement tool, UpLevel. It lets you uplevel your skills by managing all of your playbooks and scripts in one place. Still writing your favorite opening lines on sticky notes? Are your training and guides in a hundred different folders? Do you wish you had a way to develop a playbook to actually enable your team? With UpLevel, you can easily do it all. Whether you're a rep or a leader, your job just got a whole lot easier. Start for free today and you can go to thesalesdevelopers.com backslash UpLevel. You are now tuned in to the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 29 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. My name is James Bodden, and today's guest is Jeff Wortman, Senior Manager of Account Development at Bill Trust. And Jeff is somebody who has a fire and a passion for sales. In this episode, we talk about how Jeff got started in sales, working in cell phones, how he made the transition into the inside sales world, working for companies like Salesforce, Intercom, what he learned as an individual contributor that helped him be a better manager. We talk about what it means to be passionate about what you do. We talk about personal development. And of course, I make sure I get Jeff's favorite place to eat lunch like I do on every episode of the Lunch Break podcast. But if you don't have 30 plus minutes to listen to the entire episode right now, I am going to serve up a snack break sales tip from Jeff Wortman. Take a listen. So Jeff, what is a sales tip that you would give a sales rep listening uh, that they can go and use right now when they go back to their desk? Yep. So um, uh, I have two. Uh, in, the, in the vein of Martin MacArthur, I want to give yes. you a double. Uh, and so, uh, the first one is, um, managers, people like me are going to throw dashboards in everyone's faces, right? Here's 80 dashboards with a bunch of data, uh, chopped up a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Uh, if I could have like one, my biggest piece of advice for younger salespeople is don't compete against the people around you. This is actually going to be counterintuitive to what a lot of sales managers say, but I really do think that the way to growth is to compete against the effort that you put in the day before. Yes. Key, right. Can you beat what you did yesterday? Everyone works in a very you know, specific way. And so it, it can be hard a lot of times to compare yourself against somebody, especially when you don't always know like the conversations they're having with their manager or maybe like yeah. the calls aren't actually very good. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I really, truly believe you have to compete against effort you put in uh, the day before. Um, and then the second piece is I, I constantly talk about it's okay to fail, right? I, I look at my own career as a series of failures upward, right? That mm -hmm. I keep learning the right way to do it. Yep. Um, I'm the Edison of, of, um, of tech in the sense that I've just learned 99 ways that don't work. 
Uh, and so um, uh, things have been good that way. But eventually you do have to sort of uh, um, succeed, right? So yes. uh, what, what I would say to that is um, don't allow the it's okay to fail thing to only let you fail, right? So it's okay to take a step back as long as you're taking two steps forward. Another great two-part snack break sales tip from Jeff Wortman. So if you have to get back to your desk, go for it. Listen to the rest of the podcast when you can. And if you're sticking with me, I'm guessing you have at least a minute to spare. So join me before we kick this thing off for another mindful minute from the mindful sales rep himself, Keith Cordero. Hey, everyone. This is Keith Cordero with another mindful minute brought to you by the mindful sales rep. In Buddhism, there is a clear path towards liberation of suffering called the Noble Eightfold Path. These eight steps or guidelines are not meant to be taken consecutively, but to be worked simultaneously. Today, I want to discuss the first of eight parts, right view or sometimes known as right understanding, and how it relates to our roles as sales professionals. Most of our suffering comes from our misunderstanding of how things really are. If a prospect brushes us off or tells us they aren't interested in a product, we take it personally and allow that one interaction to completely screw up our mindset for the entire day. Today, after calming your mind with a simple five-minute breathing meditation, I want you to focus on a situation where you felt rejected. Look at it as a third party, almost like watching a movie, and truly ask yourself, why? Why were you frustrated? As you look deeper, you'll begin to uncover things like fear of not hitting quota or not being a quote-unquote good sales rep. With the help of this meditation, we can calm our minds, slow down, remove unnecessary attachments, and see things clearly. Good luck. All right, folks. Here it is. Episode number 29 of the Lunch Break Podcast with Jeff Wortman. Let's go. All right, folks. This is episode number 29 of the Lunch Break Podcast and really excited about my guest, Jeff Wortman, Senior Manager of Account Development over at Bill Trust. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Happy to have you here, man. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah. This, this is exciting. I mean, I think we've kind of mutually been following each other's content on LinkedIn and I just love the way that you look at leadership and think about sales leadership. And so let's bring it back all the way to the beginning. And how the heck did you get involved in this crazy sales game uh, in the first place, Jeff? Yeah, you bet. I think uh, a lot of people have a story similar to mine where um, they end up in sales, but they didn't intend uh, to really be there. Um, I, uh, I was a liberal arts uh, student at a small college. Um, I studied political science, um, and like all good political science majors, uh, I thought for a long time that I was going to go to law school. Uh, I, uh, I like to argue with people, uh, and I was pretty outspoken about opinions and, and, and my point of view, mm-hmm. and so that seemed like a natural fit. That's always kind of where people push you, and so um, I, I got started uh, with a political science degree. I was kind of a political junkie anyway, so it made sense there too. Yeah. Um, but what I realized along the way was it was going to take a lot of money to go to law school. And um, I went to a school that at the time it was like, you know, this is 20 years ago. It was $35,000 or so a year. And I paid yeah. for almost all of it myself uh, with loans and working full time. Yep. And uh, was quickly realizing that financially 
that was net like never going to happen. I didn't want to add another 200 grand of debt. Um, and so I quickly realized that I was going to have to do something else. Um, at the same time, uh, I needed a summer job in order to get money, uh, in order to, you know, help me through college. And so, um, I had a girlfriend at the time and, uh, like every good 18 year old, right? Yeah. Right. I wanted us. I wanted a, a flexible job to where I could like spend the most time with her that I could. Right. Um, and really like, you know, that was, that was the big, uh, emphasis there. And so, um, I walked through Orland Square Mall in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, just thinking like a mall is a good place for an 18-year-old to get a job. Mm-hmm. And um, I walked by, you know, clothing stores, and I had worked at Express at one point, really, you know, when I was younger. And I came to the middle of the mall, and there's this little kiosk, and there's guys standing inside of it. They're wearing ties and, and shirts and way too much gel in their hair, uh, slick back, mm-hmm. and they're yelling at people as they walk by to buy cell phones. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, you know, cell phones were still kind of like new technology. Yeah. And I just thought that looked really cool. And it fit the fact that I like to, I was pretty extroverted. Um, I, I like to, you know, talk to people. Uh, and then I'm a pretty competitive guy. And uh, I like technology, right? I was always, you know, one of those people who was buying new gadgets and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, it just made sense. Uh, to do something like that. And it was commission only. Uh, if you didn't sell anything, you didn't make any money that day. Yeah. And I did it for a summer and I just fell in love with it. I love it, man. I love it. So a lot of people kind of end up in this situation. And you know, what's interesting is I feel like, especially folks that were kind of entering the workforce when, when you and I were, cause we kind of entered the, the real world workforce at the same time. And you start realizing things like, wow, do I really want to go another 200 K in debt here? Mm-hmm. Looking at the balance sheet of what you're already going to have to be paying and, or, or you end up out of college with that debt and no job opportunities. So yeah, you end up walking through a mall to, to, to try and, find a way to make some cash and very similar experience to yours, Jeff. Right. So I got started in wireless as well. And, and, um, that kiosk lifestyle was, was exhilarating to me and seemed like something that was a, it was like enough out of the realm of something that I would normally think to do that made it seem like, okay, this is a good goal to kind of like, I'm going to go try this thing. It's, an opportunity for me to make some money. It's based on my ability to perform. You know, there's no guarantees. Um, and that's not an easy gig. I, I, I have spent many an hour in, in, in those boxes in the middle of the mall and, and uh, those tactics that you use to get people's attention. I love the comment about the gel. You know, what's funny is there was actually, so I worked at at an AT&T kiosk and then down the way was the T-Mobile kiosk and the T-Mobile guys were always known as the flyest ones in the mall. They, cause they didn't have, their kiosk was like an open kiosk. So they didn't ever sit. So there's their whole thing was standing up and calling people over and they all had the hair and the, you know, suits and stuff. And I loved it, man. So, um, so, you know, what's, what's interesting about your story is, and as I look at kind of what you've done since, I, I want to get to this because I think it'll be interesting for, for folks out there that are kind of on a similar path. You start off 
literally just by kind of like walking through the mall and saying, where can I get a job? And then you're introduced to the sales game, right? Mm -hmm. How did you make the jump from that to even knowing about the other side of the sales world, like the B2B inside sales game? And, and, and how did you make that transition? Yeah. So, um, again, a little bit more 2004 context. I'm sure you remember this too, but, um, so, um, when I, to answer the first part of your question, um, I eventually got interested like in something more because I got promoted. So I was working at one, uh, one of those kiosks and they promoted me to manage one of them. Yep. And, uh, that was the first real, like, you know, uh, first real confident move, uh, somebody put in me that like you could lead people. Yeah. Right. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and so back in 2004, 2005, um, the game in sales was going to work for a pharmaceutical company. They gave you a car. You had this like territory where like you basically took doctors to Blackhawks games. And told, <laughs> you know, they since like all of that's been changed. They yeah. Changed yeah. All these laws. But that was the that was like the thing. Right. And so initially I thought I'm going to do pharmaceutical sales. OK. And, um, I graduated from college in 2007. Uh, and then uh, that was right about the time that all those laws changed and or right before that, really. And so. Yeah. That was where I realized, oh man, like I don't know if I if the industry is really going to survive the way it was. Yeah. And so the thought process was, I knew that like inside sales existed, right? That sort of thing. I knew that like this world of like SDR, you know, or uh, full cycle inside sales. Um, I knew that like with a base salary, that was a big thing because I was commission only for a long yeah. time. Yeah. That type of security was really important, and so. I, I wanted to lean into the technology side of it because I had experience in cell phones. I, I'm always looking for a way to like, what is my unique value proposition as, as an employee, right? And at the time it was, hey, I understand technology and that sort of thing. And so, and this was 2007, 2008, where less people could say that. And so I ended up in a role just um, very much like an SDR type role before there were a lot of SDRs. Yeah. Uh, working for an IT managed services company, just doing a lot of cold calling. Uh, for recruiting and stuff like that. Uh, it was a company called Thompson's. They don't even exist anymore. A lot of those companies have gone out, but, uh, um, mm, excuse me, um, I, uh, I really learned hustle there. I learned, uh, you know, grit. And I took that to companies like, you know, the K-12 Teachers Alliance, which was really a grind type job, right? 100 calls a day, selling to school districts. Um, but um, I had researched the industry and I had done a little bit of homework and I knew that like, I wanted to get into like tech sales. Mm. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time was I was falling backwards into the new version of pharmaceutical sales, right? 15 years ago, everyone wanted to be in pharmaceutical sales. Today, everyone wants to work in high tech. Yeah. And I just thought I was leaning into my strengths. I didn't really consider much of the industry growth at all. Well, I got very lucky in the sense that I was building all of these skills exactly as the high-tech industry was becoming the industry to work in. And so really, I guess the turning point for me was I went from the K-12 Teachers Alliance to doing just traditional uh, marketing like uh, uh, cold calling mm -hmm. uh, to school districts. And then I went to cars.com. And that working at cars.com was like my first taste of like 
real high-tech sales. It's still not like a value. It wasn't a value-driven sale at the time. It was still very transactional. Sure. Um, it gave me insight into that world to where then I was like, I got some mentors and I started learning like, what are the skills I need yeah. uh, to be more successful? And I was able to put together a plan for my career. Yeah, that's super interesting because I think what you did kind of along the way was instead of, and I think this is really, if I had to choose a strategy, I would choose yours of leaning into your own strengths, being self-aware, taking the time to even, because a lot of people would, and I knew people like this. So for example, a lot of people would fall into a gig like the cell phone thing and just ride that out for like 10 years. And you could have done that you know, and yeah. probably survived and, and, and lived that life. But you kind of paused, you took a step back and said, okay, like, what am I really good at? What am I really interested in? And, and, and you know, how can I craft a career that, that kind of feeds those strengths? <laughs> and I think that decision to do it that way, is like, that's why you've reaped the benefits of it is because just so happened the industry yeah. that you 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 became you know a part of has has kind of taken off and and been able to kind of do a lot of different things and 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 sit in a lot of different seats which i think in today's world and i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this the idea of how do i want to put this so i'm all for somebody finding a company that they love and staying there for 15 years I know, I know guys, I know sales guys that got out of college, started at a company and have been there ever since for eight years and they love it and it's great. But I also don't think it's a bad thing for people to move around, especially mm -hmm. salespeople uh, in the earlier parts of their career. If you're spending, and there's always pros and cons, and I'm sure there's a long list of cons to, to this kind of quote unquote job hopping thing, but to me, it's giving you all these different shades of what it's what sales is like. And, and you're just able to, once you do find a place where you feel like, okay, now, okay, I'm going to put some roots here and stay here for a few years. Um, you know, you're, you're carrying with you so many different types of experiences. That's been an advantage for me. I've, I've stayed places 10 months, a year, a year and a half. And, and what that's done is it, it's a few things allowed me to find out what I'm good at and what I'm not good at very quickly. Um, and then also what I have to give to an employer and then what I need an employer to be giving to me in order for this thing to, to be win-win for everybody. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that, on, the, on this idea that reps should or shouldn't job hop? For yeah, I get, a better term. I get this question all the time, like older aunts and uncles, right? <laughs> like they hear you have a new job every two years. Like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, um, extended family. That's a very good point. My, yeah. my extended family never knows where I'm working. Are right. you still working right. at Radio Shack? Yeah. You know, it's like that was, in, that was eight years ago, but yeah. Yeah, I get the same thing. And uh, I think it's a generational thing. And I also think it's, uh, it's, it's part of that difference between uh, the, the boomers and Gen X versus uh, millennials, which I am a little bit older than the rest of the kind of the tech workforce in the sense that I'm in my mid thirties, but I am technically still a millennial. Yep, um, I, I feel you, like, brother. 
Yeah, anywhere from like 80 to 30, sort of like is, is you know, if you were born, uh, yeah. they call it happen. Yeah. Um, the difference here is that um, the old generation very much viewed their own brand through their company, right? So like they wanted to find somewhere to work for 30 years and they felt like the company would take care of them. Give them but, that watch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, the world's changed and, um, you know, companies haven't, uh, companies frankly, and I, this is going to sound negative, but I don't mean it to sound negative, but like companies have basically said, we're not going to have the same type of, uh, um, you know, philosophy around our uh, employees anymore. And so the world's really changed to a place where you need to own your own personal brand. This is a huge, like Gary, and I know you're into Gary Vee, uh, just like I am, but uh, Gary Vee constantly brings this up of like, we're in an economy today where your brand is what matters. Um, and that's part of the reason why investing in LinkedIn early, um, sharing best practices, providing value, um, has been key, right? And um, yeah, compared to, you know, somebody who was selling in the 1980s, right? It looks like I've jumped, uh, jumped around a little bit more than some people, but um, I think it's really, uh, it's really given me context to your point. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of, of just what works and what doesn't. And to this day, I think that I'm a, I'm a very good sort of Man, not just manager, but like builder of business processes here at Build Trust, simply because I have the context of managing a Salesforce, managing an intercom, and really being able to combine all that stuff into yeah. what works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things, because I was talking to, about the same thing with a friend of mine the other day, and what we were saying is you do still have to be strategic, though. You can't job hop for the sake of job hopping or just because you're lazy, you know, and, and don't want to ever get found out. <laughs> you leave right around the time that those performance improvement plans would be coming out, you know? Yep. Um, because you, like for you, you know, you look and you spent time at places like Salesforce and Intercom. I mean, you know, those are for your personal brand. It's like a logo for a business, you, oh, yeah. like on the website. Right. And, and that was always something I had, when I kind of made the switch from, because it is a mindset thing for a while, when I got out of retail, I was like, I need to find stability. That's a big reason that I'm leaving retail. I want to have a salary and I want to work somewhere for a while and, and, you know, have that stability. But once I kind of realized to your point, we don't live in that kind of world anymore. Um, and that I was better off maybe trying if, you know, to do as much as I could and experience as much as I could, I still had to think about, okay, is this going to, you know, if I go here and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, am I still, am I going to be in a better place afterwards? Yep. Because of the quality of the company or the, the, the role that I had, whatever. And that's always been the case, you know? And so that's what I think that's a very key point that you've obviously taken into account as well. Yeah. You got to know where your deficiencies are and where you want to learn. Right. So um, I managed a BDR team at Salesforce. It was the first uh, management job that I had. I was promoted from AE to manager there. And um, managing at Salesforce gives you a huge amount of context around just how to do it the right way. Right. They still yes. run that predictable revenue Aaron Ross model. Yep. It, is just, it is the best machine for learning the intricacies of BDR that exists. The problem is, as a frontline manager, you very much have to stay in your lane right? You don't necessarily get to branch out. And I'm the type of guy where like, I like to do a lot of stuff. I like to have my hand in a lot of pots. I like to, um, 
come up with messaging, stuff like that. And so um, you're exactly right. When, um, when I was recruited to Intercom, uh, the, the thing for me was, um, this is a place where, uh, so traditionally Intercom has been um, uh, heavy inbound, right? Yeah. Uh, Intercom is very, very good at using their own product. Mm-hmm. Uh, the product works very well yeah. uh, for acquisition. And so um, Intercom got very, very good at inbound sales uh, and using the product for that. But uh, where they needed some help was in outbound sales, oh, outbound cold sales. Yeah. And so I came in and sort of helped uh, start build that process. And that to me was like, okay, this is something I'm going to learn. Once that was kind of up and running, you know, I had actually anticipated being an intercom uh, for a little bit longer, but sometimes you have to strike while the iron's hot. And we stood up that process and it was working. And so then, you know, Build Trust comes along and now all of a sudden there's, uh, we're a heavy ABM shop, right? So here's the chance to learn about ABM, to learn about all these other processes at yeah. the manager level to really uh, have more access to uh, hire up managers and mentors and things like that. And yeah. so there's always been an emphasis on what can I learn and how can I grow? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's funny, this idea that at a certain point, I feel like when you start out in your career, a lot of your motivation is probably out of just pure survival. I just need to get a job to pay these damn bills. And then hopefully you work hard and you get to a point where you're a little bit more stable and you can start making decisions that are outside of that survival mode mindset. Yeah. And, and what, what I feel like some people don't do when they do reach that point is they don't focus on the learning. They, they continue to make it about the money mm-hmm. because I, I think for me, speaking just from my experience, there was a point in my career where I was taking jobs because I could make more money. Mm-hmm. It was like this opportunity is not necessarily something that I like have been dreaming about doing, but it's going to level me up dollars wise. And then it, it has to change at some point to be, what can I learn? I'm going to go here because I can learn something new from this experience. And, you know, one of my mentors told me that just a couple of months ago. It's like the way, well, what's interesting is he asked me how much money I wanted to be making in five years. And then I told him, and then he said, the way to get there is by making sure that everything you're doing is, is ensuring that you learn something new every time you do it. Yep. And spot on, man. I mean, I think that is exactly what any salesperson at really any point in their career, because there's always phases. There's always new phases to, to everything in life. And, and there, your, your sales career is no different. It's, it's about, you know, you're going to evolve as a person and a rep and your, your skills are going to change and you're gonna have opportunities to, uh, you know, do things that maybe push you a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And so how do you continue to stay in that mindset, Jeff, like of, of, of learning and, and um, you know, kind of continuous improvement. Yep. That, thank you for that. I, that is my favorite question. Um, it has to be something that you put emphasis on. It has to be just some, and this is, this is not something that like anyone can teach you. This just has to come from within. For me, it's a constant, like, I didn't realize that everyone wasn't like this until like recently. I have this constant like drive to get better, 
to get promoted, to be successful, right? That whole thing that you mentioned earlier where people really like get into a comfort zone and then they coast at a job for like yeah. 10 years. Yeah. That is like doing one job for 10 years is like my personal hell. Yeah, right? yeah. Or at least a, a solid version of purgatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am just, I have this fire where I'm always looking to the next thing, right? But how can I, what can I do now in order to get there? Like, it's not ignoring what you're doing now, because if you ignore what you do now, you're never going to be able to get there. And so, but you've got to know that for me, it's like, you know, you got to find out what works for you. Um, I, I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I try to find mentors who are high energy and overly positive. I think that's really, really important. Um, I would listen to podcasts of, and this is an area where the millennial generation is very different from the boomers and Gen X. There used to be a time, you know, when I, when I was perusing bookstores, when I was in college, the self-help section, like you didn't want to go over there. It was scary because somebody would see you and you weren't allowed to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, Today, it's like a badge of honor. It's the biggest section in the bookstore. And that's because the millennial generation has really embraced that. And so I would go so far as to say, you know, a few years ago, I discovered Tony Robbins, right? And he's been a big influence on me. I went to uh, one of his live events, Unleashed Power Within, which is four-day immersive uh, event. That's about 55 hours over four days. Um, that was a life-changing experience. And so, um, you know, understanding, though, that that stuff is going to fade, and the weeds are going to grow automatically in your mind. Um, the question is, how every single day can I chop down the weeds of my mind, right? How can I actively uh, get better? And uh, you can only do that if, you're, if it's like top of your mind, right? So um, I would encourage you like, and make others hold you accountable to it, right? Post about it on LinkedIn. Tell your boss, like, I'm trying to get better. Yeah. And I want to make more content on LinkedIn. And if you see me, go like three days without posting, like yell at me. Yeah. Right? Create accountability buddies around you. Just do what you have to do in order to get better because, um, you know, average is average, right? And if you want to make, if you want to make a lot of money and if you want to be successful, you're going to have to do things that the average person isn't doing, which I think a lot of it is that personal development um, angle. Like, you know, Rachel Hollis is another great example, right? She's primarily, uh, uh, geared towards women. Uh, and my, my wife is a big fan, just went to one of her events, but the people in that whole ecosystem, her husband, Dave, Jay Shetty, uh, Lewis Howes, all of the people in that kind of personal development space. Um, I think those podcasts are great. Like it's just yeah. a great way to, uh, motivate yourself every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting, Jeff, because not everybody thinks like that. And you, you realize, <clears throat> for people that it's kind of naturally a part of how they are to, to come across this age of enlightenment, if you want to call it that when it comes to self-development is awesome. Um, because I remember, and it's funny that you mentioned Tony Robbins, but I remember growing up and having a very vague perception of Tony Robbins as somebody who was like a sketchy guy that you didn't want to yeah. like, and, and I knew nothing about it. I even think that was like something that I may even, have heard my dad say or something like somebody wants me to go to a Tony Robbins thing or, and it's weird or, you know, walk across coals or whatever. And it's interesting. I think without, oh man, we could probably talk for hours about this. Um, but you know, this millennial generation has, I feel like we've kind of, we entered into the workforce at such a 
horrible time to enter the workforce during the Great Recession. You know, a lot of us kind of came into being full-fledged adults during that time. And um, that has led us to being a generation with like massive debt <laughs> um, and, and um, one that we're kind of like, we need that outlet. We need that positive thinking in order to kind of just continue to go on every day. And I love your point. Like, if you want it, it has to be top of mind. And it has to be something that you're kind of constantly thinking about and making a point to go consume that content and insert yourself into that world because it's all there. Guys like Jay Shetty and Lewis House will continue to do their thing. It's up to you to go kind of tap into that faucet of, of information and knowledge and ways of thinking. And um, I love it, Jeff. And, and I think uh, so, so many people <laughs> can, can benefit from kind of just flipping that switch and trying to just making that decision. Like, I'm just going to make this a priority. So Jeff, what is a sales tip that you would give a sales rep listening uh, that they can go and use right now when they go back to their desk? Yep. So um, uh, I have two. Uh, in, the, in the vein of Martin MacArthur, I want to give yes. you a double. Uh, and so uh, the first one is um, managers, people like me, are going to throw dashboards in everyone's faces, right? Here's 80 dashboards with a bunch of data uh, chopped up a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Uh, if I could have, like, one, my biggest piece of advice for younger salespeople is, don't compete against the people around you. This is actually going to be counterintuitive to what a lot of sales managers say, but I really do think that the way to growth is to compete against the effort that you put in the day before. Yes. That's the key, right? Can you beat what you did yesterday? Everyone works in a very you know, specific way, and so it, it can be hard a lot of times to compare yourself against somebody, especially when you don't always know like the conversations they're having with their manager or maybe like... Yeah. The calls aren't actually very good, right? So <laughs> yeah. I really, truly believe you have to compete against the effort you put in uh, the day before. Um, and then the second piece is I, I constantly talk about it's okay to fail, right? I, I look at my own career as a series of failures upward, right? That mm -hmm. I keep learning the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm the Edison of, of, um, of tech in the sense that I've just learned 99 ways that don't work. Uh, and so... Um, uh, things have been good that way, but eventually you do have to sort of uh, um, succeed, right? So yes. uh, what, what I would say to that is um, don't allow the it's okay to fail thing to only let you fail, right? So <laughs> it's okay to take a step back as long as you're taking two steps forward. I love it. I love it, Jeff. I think those are both super actionable tips that that folks can use when they get back to their desk and and you know, it kind of goes along with this whole theme of, of what we've been talking about, you know, this desire to be better, keeping it top of mind, and then doing a few things, going out and learning the things you need to learn in order to get there, be willing to fail, and then also sticking with it long enough to, to see things come to fruition and, and see that success. So yeah. I love it, man. And, and Can I add one thing to that? Oh, of course. One thing that I think is really important in that summary is don't do any of that alone. Bring mm -hmm. in, find mentors inside your company, outside your company, people you don't even know, right? Accountability buddies, mentors, everything. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to just soak in all of that stuff. So get a tribe that are better than you at everything. Don't be the smartest person in the room and soak up all that knowledge. 
I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's a super important point. I mean, I think because, and I was talking to somebody just this morning about this, being a sales rep in any capacity can be sometimes a little bit lonely, even if you're in an open office with a bunch of, uh, other reps or, you know, even if you're working remote, I mean, it, it, the, the nature of the job becomes solitary at some point. Like it's, um, it's like golf, you know, like you're going to have a team of coaches and people that are going to help you and your caddy and you know, all this great stuff. But at the end of the day, it's you, you know, on that tee. So it's like, it comes down to what can you do every day to beat yourself from the previous day with the help of everybody around you. I love it, man. I love it. Yep. Um, so Jeff, I have to ask you the same question that I ask every guest that comes on the podcast. What is your favorite place to eat lunch? Uh, so for me, um, I am a preacher of habit. Uh, we have a chain here in downtown Chicago called Protein Bar. Um, it's kind of just a, just a uh, high protein kind of healthy option where um, they just have a lot of different kind of stuff, but it's more... Um, uh, it's more substantial, right? You go to a lot of health food places and it's just the portions are very small. <laughs> yeah. You need a lot. So a uh, protein bar in Chicago, I think they have a few in Denver. There's a few around the country, but very, very uh, cool spot. Nice. Yeah. That, and that, that meal will keep you going throughout the day. You That's know, right. I, I think um, I made the mistake a couple of weeks ago of having like a, a burger during the middle of the day. And it just, whoo, that I was fighting off the the heavy eyelids all afternoon. So yeah protein bar to keep you going throughout the rest of the day. I love it, Jeff. Well, look, man, I, you've shared so much valuable information with, with the audience here today, man. And, and I think it's just a testament to kind of how you've run your career and, and, and how you're doing your thing. And, and I look forward to continuing to watch you do great things. And, and um, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that people know how they can reach out to you, get in touch with you, uh, LinkedIn's a great place to do that, right? My name is Jeff Wartman, W-A-R-T-M-A-N. I'm pretty easy to find there. Um, I actually post a lot of content on Instagram as well for this type of stuff. So nice. I'm at Jeff Wartman at Instagram. Um, if anyone wants to follow me there as well, uh, there's a lot of good content there. Wonderful, Jeff. Well, thank you so much. And with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 29 of the Lunch Break Podcast. <laughs>